Uh, Almighty God, uh, whose Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. And Lord, may your spirit right now illuminate this word we've had read out. Give us ears to hear and all those with eager hearts said, Amen. 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 Uh, Let me begin with a confession. You ready for it? I am an Apple Music user. Now you might be thinking, why is that a confession? I love Apple Music. I am thoroughly committed to the Apple ecosystem. However... Kind of once that final month of the year happens, it happens pretty much December 1, I feel like I'm missing out because of the frequency online of smug Spotify users sharing their music listening data all over social media in aesthetically pleasing graphs. Has anyone noticed those uh, Spotify unwrapped year in review and there's probably some hands that popped up straight away because you enjoyed sharing your data in aesthetically pleasing graphs as well. Hey, good news for those Apple Music listeners and lovers out there. If you dig, you actually have to dig for it to find it. You can find some reasonably okay looking graphs with the music listening data from Apple Music as well. I can help you out with that after the service if you want to find out what 2022 looked like for you. But it was interesting, at the end of last year when I worked out where to actually find that, as I reflected on uh, the most popular artists that I listened to, but also the most repeated songs, and there were some songs that had uh, hundreds of replays again and again and again, the vast majority of the top 20 songs that I listened to were actually Bible verses. Now that might sound pretty nerdy, you might go, he really mustn't like music. Uh, And yet one of the things that was so encouraging and uplifting for me last year was keeping Bible verses on repeat. Uh, The most popular song I listened to was from Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Number two was Psalm 56 verse 3 and 4. And number three was Revelation 1 17 to 18. Those three songs have been listened to about a million times according to the data that I received. Uh, They're actually from a project called the Verses Project. You can find out more about it online. Listen to verses.com. Uh, I think I shared something a couple of days ago online as well. You could follow some, follow some links there. They're actually memory verse songs written uh, in a more contemporary type of music uh, with the ESV translation, uh, uh, indie folk kind of acoustic, singer-songwriter, uh, stuff that you actually like listening to. And then you go, wait, I'm actually embedding the Word of God in my ears and in my heart as I listen to these songs. Uh, and yet the song, that the, the, the Bible verse that was most listened to last year was Psalm 121. It came in 9th, 11th, 13th and 15th because it was split up over four songs. And so when you add those together, I listened to Psalm 121 more than any other song last year, more than any other Bible verse last year. 
You know, I can still remember, uh, most of you know that last year in my work with Open Doors, I uh, went on a trip to Egypt and after an action-packed uh, week and a half uh, visiting persecuted Christians and getting to know their stories and being encouraged by uh, their faith in the midst of great trial and suffering, uh, our final day, our final full day in Cairo, we went to this stunning place called Cave Church. Uh, in the 1980s, um, the Christians were actually exiled and sent out uh, to work in a garbage dump uh, and kind of live amongst the garbage dump uh, and work in the garbage dump and sort everything in the garbage dump. Uh, and in a country where only 15% of the country, which is actually quite a high proportion in many senses in the Middle East, but 15% profess to be Christian, the vast majority profess to be Muslim, 99% of those who live in Garbage City now are actually Christian. Christians are still exiled there, still living there, and I can still remember driving through Garbage City and just, it's literally as it sounds, it's Garbage City. You're driving up this mountain, through these streets, through these smells, with stacks of rubbish, kids playing in amongst the rubbish, living in houses built in and amongst the rubbish where everything is sorted. And as you arrive, because 99% of the population in that particular precinct are Christian, it actually means the largest Christian church in the Middle East is there. With 15,000 seats is this phenomenal structure slash cave where seats have been built into this cave. And uh, this is a place where week by week, Christians make their pilgrimage up the hill and to the top of that mountain to gather together as the people of God singing praises to him. It was an experience just to be there. Uh, I'd looked up photographs online before I went. I even thought about putting a photograph in uh, the, the slide deck, but it actually doesn't do it justice to actually being in there. A remarkable place uh, inspired by a remarkable people with a remarkable hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the city below us, Bible verses printed on the walls and engraved in the walls around us. And it was one of those moments at the end of a trip with the opportunity to reflect, to think about life, to think about the trip that's just been had, to think about my year up until that point, to think about disappointments, to think about wins and losses, joys and sorrows. And one of the things I did we had about half an hour there by ourselves and I prayed through some set prayers and the set prayers I was praying through that day included Psalm 121. And I spent time listening to those four songs on repeat, praying prayers inspired by the promises embedded in that psalm. As uh, Zach has already said, we are uh, continuing our series, Ascend the Hill, looking at the songs of ascent, the first three songs of ascent in the book of Psalms. These Psalms were compiled as songs that were sung by Israelite pilgrims, pilgrims as they journeyed back up to the, the, the mountaintop moment, back up to Jerusalem as they would go back to that holy city to keep the feast of the Lord. And the songs of ascent were like a, a pilgrimage songbook, like a, 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 a road trip playlist uh, that were to be listened to on repeat. This series, Ascend the Hill, we are focusing on Psalm 120 to 122. And across the 15 songs of ascent, if we were to study them, we'd notice 
that they are grouped into five groups of three psalms. And each of them have a similar structure and theme. If you were with us last week, I quoted Alec Mocha where he said this, in each group, the first of the three exposes a situation of difficulty. The second focuses on God's power to keep. And the third, security in Zion and its God. And so last week, if you were with us, if you missed it, uh, catch up with the sermon podcast. But Psalm 120, we considered the difficulty of the journey. Today, we'll consider God's power to keep. Uh, And next week, the joy in Psalm 122 in Jerusalem. Uh, And so last week, uh, as we saw the distress that is caused and God's people are faced with through lying lips and deceitful tongues, we know that there are many journeys, uh, many dangers on the journey as they ascend the hill as they make their way back to Jerusalem. And as the pilgrims make their way back to Jerusalem, Psalm 121 kicks off with this verse. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? As they walk, they not only have their eyes down on the path, being careful of where they tread, but they look up. And they look around. And as the psalmist looks up and looks around, he lifts his eyes to the hills. And the ongoing question for the journey is, from where does my help come? You know, we know of the pressures all around us from various places in the midst of the pressures we have and the circumstances we find in our lives. We can look for help on our own spiritual journey. Uh, A few places perhaps we could look for help, we could look for help within. You know, the self-help gurus teach us that strength, it lies within us. You know, the answer can be found through doing things better, greater personal discipline, the, the, the things that we find in and of ourselves. We can look within. We can also look to education. The more knowledge we have, can lead to greater strategies in life and how to go about life and how to pursue the path and how to pursue the journey. Or we can, perhaps, looking within hasn't really worked and looking to education hasn't really worked and so perhaps we even look to substances. And we look to substances to dull the pain, to escape the pressure, to find help, perhaps even in the midst of helplessness. And yet the psalmist, when he lifts his eyes to the hills and asks, from where does my help come? His answer is, it's not within. It's not education. It's certainly not in substances. There is one clear answer on repeat. And that is, the Lord will keep you. The Lord, or Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh, for those newer to the Bible, is the personal name of God. Anytime in the Old Testament you see Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is the transliteration of the the personal name of God, Yahweh. We can't even really say it properly. (laughs) And it was the personal name that God revealed, remember, to Moses. You know, when Moses says, who shall I say sent me? The Lord says, Yahweh, I am who I am. He reveals his personal name. And so every time we see L-O-R-D in capital letters, we are, we are speaking about the Lord. We are speaking about Yahweh. And the message on repeat in this short little psalm is that Yahweh will keep you. Yahweh will help you. 
You know, the word in the ESV there in, is six times the word keep appears. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will keep you. Yahweh will keep you. And so when we ask the question, from where does my help come? We too have one clear answer. God. Our help comes from God, the Lord, Yahweh. Now, I want to show you three things from this passage about how Yahweh is our keeper. Now, at one level, let me break it down and be totally um, upfront with you. This is a really simple message. You've already heard the big idea. From where does my help come from? God. <laughs> it's a simple message. And, and, and yet, here's the thing. As I reflect on 2022... It's a message that as I've listened to this psalm again and again and again, it's a simple message that I never want to move on from. It's a simple message that has ministered to me personally, profoundly through Psalm 121. And I hope and trust that even just these next few minutes as we reflect on it together, that it will be a timely word for you now, that it will be a timely word for you across this year. And indeed, it will be a timely word for you for the rest of your life, that this word would be a reminder that God, the Lord, Yahweh, is your help. Sound like a good plan? Let's check it out together. From where does my help come? There's the question we're asking. Uh, there's the question the psalmist is asking. There's the question we are asking. Answer number one is that Yahweh, our creator. From where does my help come from? Yahweh, our creator. Check out verse two. My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, stop there, just on that verse, and spend a little bit of time reflecting on Yahweh, our creator, from that verse. Yahweh is our creator. And get this, He is the one who made heaven and earth. And not only is He our creator, He is our helper. That is Yahweh, the holy and transcendent Lord of the universe, the one who is far above us, doesn't mean that he's aloof, doesn't mean that he's just far off and uncaring. He is holy, he is transcendent, he is above all things, and yet he cares. He acts to help. Isn't that incredible? The Creator cares for his creatures. Yesterday, while Roe and I were building a concrete stepping stone path, uh, Roe's been asleep pretty much all day because of how tiring this has been. I think if she had have drunk a little bit more water, she wouldn't have had as, needed as much sleep. I drank about 60 litres of water yesterday. But anyway, at one point yesterday, as we were building this path and doing manual things that we don't normally do, uh, we were listening to ABC News Radio. Sounds like a really fun day, Dave. <laughs> what else did you get up to? But there was this one moment, we only, had the, we only had it on for about 20, 20, 30 minutes, but there was this one moment where there was some news that came on that made me smile in the midst of my pain, that made me kind of go, oh my goodness. And, and, and here's the headline from the corresponding online article. You can even see it in uh, your outline there. Here's the headline. Hot Jupiter exoplanet that fits a year into five days discovered by Toowoomba University. Isn't that remarkable? Toowoomba! <laughs> Wonderful things come out of Toowoomba. Amen, Tara? Amen. Amen. 
There we go, there we go. Let me read to you a little bit more from the article. You won't be able to see this on your outline there, but uh, here's, here's some of the, a couple of paragraphs. It says, humans have just marked the beginning of a new year here on Earth. Congratulations. Uh, but hundreds of light years away, a freshly discovered exoplanet celebrates the occasion every few days. How cool is that? Like you get New Year's Eve every five days. So cool. An astrophysicist from Toowoomba has unearthed a hot Jupiter exoplanet that experiences a very short year orbiting its sun in less than a week. Exoplanets are planets that orbit a star other than the Earth's sun and giant gas exoplanets with scorching temperatures earn the term hot Jupiters. Now, if you're not excited yet, bear with me for a moment. This hot Jupiter, this exoplanet, or its, its technical name, TOI-778 B, as it's called, is 890.1 times heavier than Earth. And it's 15.401 times bigger than Earth. Isn't that phenomenal? It's almost like there's just a bunch of Toowoomba crew uh, that are kind of just casually going, oh yeah, we've got some NASA telescope access here and you know, they're getting a little bit stronger every year and, oh, yeah, here's a new mega planet. I don't understand all the science, but I understand this. This universe is really big and we are really small. And so whenever I hear news of telescopes that reach further and the discovery of new planets and stars, I can't help but marvel. Yahweh made it all. The Lord is bigger than it all. And yet Yahweh, who made heaven and earth, Yahweh, who knew about hot Jupiter, exoplanet, before the crew from the Toowoomba University discovered it, he is the helper of his people. Isn't that mind-blowing? Whether we are a, a, a Israelite pilgrims on our way back to Jerusalem for a festival looking to the hills or whether we are 21st century followers of Jesus on our way to the eternal Jerusalem looking to the extraordinary expanse of the sky full of exoplanets and dwarf stars. In response to the question from where does my help come? Remarkably, Yahweh, the one who created the heavens and the earth he cares for us and he is our helper. You know, John Calvin says of Psalm 121 that it's written to those of us who, quote, are, are disregarding, disregarding God, gaze to a distance all around them and make long and devious circuits in quest of remedies to their troubles. What's his point? We're, we're looking everywhere for the answers. We're Googling. How do I do this? How do I get through this? We go to like AI chat to try to work out what life should look like. And yet we don't look within. We don't look to education. We don't look to substances to find help. We look up and see my help comes from the Lord. He is our remedy in the times of trouble. Question, from where does my help come? Answer one, Yahweh, our creator. Answer two, Yahweh, our redeemer. 
we, we see this consistently through the whole of scriptures, but I think particularly in the Old Testament, the Lord is the God who both creates, he's the creator, but he's also the redeemer. The creator and the redeemer. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Psalm 121 verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know, this, um, I think uh, the psalmist is doing a little bit of a throwback here to uh, 1 Kings 18. Remember when Elijah uh, is taunting the, the, the priests of Baal and there's kind of this God versus God battle. 1 Kings 18, at, at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. You know, we're reminded that this is the true and living God who needs neither sleep nor slumber. We need sleep and slumber and yet the triune God, the, the true God, Yahweh, the living God, the almighty God. And yet this living God, this almighty God, notice in verse 4, he is the one, he is the God who keeps Israel. Now, I think immediately when we hear the words, he keeps Israel, we're reminded actually of the story of Israel. We're reminded of the salvation that God has won, to rescue them as his people and then to keep them as his people. You know, those of us who may be doing Bible in a year reading plans, uh, right now you're probably in the thick of reading about the origins of Israel. You know, we even, we even learn about the origins of Israel in Genesis 1 and 2. We, we, we learn that the Lord is the creator and he makes people in his image to know and be known by him. And yet by chapter 3 of Genesis, we have sin entering into the world. People rebel against God, failing to trust that God is God, failing to trust that his word is true. And we see the devastating consequences of sin is that relationship with God is broken, relationship with other people is broken, and relationship with creation is broken. And then as you continue to read in Genesis 4 to 11, we see the ongoing spread of sin and the downward spiral as things go from bad to worse. And yet we get this beautiful moment, this significant turning point in redemption history. In Genesis chapter 12, we meet a man that God calls Abram. Uh, he calls Abram and he makes promises to Abram that through Abram and his descendants, the effects of sin and rebellion entering into the world would be reversed. Abram, his name means father. Abraham, his name means father of many. Abraham would become the father of many. And then we see the rest of Genesis. It's all about the story of God slowly fulfilling his promises through Abraham's descendants. It's a pretty messy family. It's a pretty mucky family. And yet God works in the midst of the mess of these people to bring about his plans and his purposes to gather for himself a people. So by the end of Genesis, God's people are many. And by the start of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, God's people, though they are many, are actually enslaved in Egypt. And then we learn of God's act of redemption in and through Moses to rescue his people from the hand of Pharaoh. God comes in judgment against Egypt and yet works for the salvation and redemption of his people Israel. You remember there was the plagues that, that God sent against the gods of Egypt and against Pharaoh himself. And the tenth plague against Pharaoh was the plague of the firstborn. A night of horror as firstborns were killed. 
And yet God graciously and kindly, not because Israel did anything to make themselves more attractive or more worthy of salvation, but because of God's kindness, God spared them. Those who had shed the blood of a lamb, painted the blood on the doorframe of their home, God passed over these houses. They were spared death. And then by the mighty and outstretched arm of the Lord, they were taken miraculously across the Red Sea and brought into freedom and liberation. And yet, although they've been rescued, the history, as you kind of, we're going to fast forward to the rest of the Old Testament, Israel, they complain to the Lord and and they end up in judgment, wandering in the wilderness for a further 40 years. And then their story is one that continues to be a forgetfulness of the God who has rescued them, of the God who is their redeemer, of the God who is their salvation. And yet, there's a thread the whole way through the Old Testament. There always remains a remnant that remembers the Lord, their God. These pilgrims singing Psalm 121, returning to Israel, this song of ascent, they are those who continue to trust in the promises of God. Those who have continued to trust that Yahweh is their redeemer. You know, throughout Israel's history, even when things look uncertain, perhaps even when they're in exile in a foreign land, they had to always remember that Yahweh is their present helper, who helps them by redeeming them from, their, from sin and their enemy and by keeping them. Look at, look at verse uh, 4 again. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isn't that an important word for Israel? Yahweh, the the Redeemer. Even when you feel like you're in the wilderness, even when you're on a pilgrimage, even when there are difficulties to your left and to your right, Yahweh, the Redeemer, will keep you. That's an important word for those who would have sung this song many centuries ago. But that's an important word for us too. Whatever difficulties we face on the journey... Yahweh is our Redeemer. Isn't it good news that He doesn't need to sleep or slumber? Because He keeps us too, even while we sleep and slumber. You know, one of the um, practices that Ro and I have grown in over the last 12 months is using the Anglican Book of Common Prayer at bedtime. Uh, it's called Compline, there's a stack of, which literally means bedtime. There's a stack of beautiful bedtime prayers and a bunch of different prayers that we pray, depending on how awake we are, how many we'll pray. Uh, but there's kind of the same three prayers at the end of this kind of evening, uh, this bedtime uh, prayer book session. I'm not going to read all of them. I've, I've pasted three of them in uh, to uh, the, um, uh, the, the slide deck there. Uh, but let me, read, um, let me read one of them. The first one, a, co- a collect, which is just a word for pl- a prayer, a prayer for evening. Visit this place, O Lord. And drive far from it all snares of the enemy. Let your holy angels dwell with us to preserve us in peace. And let your blessing be upon us always. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You'll you'll notice that all three of the prayers there are about going to sleep, are about slumber, are about the need for God to sustain us by his grace and his kindness and his mercy as we sleep. Every night, a reminder that there is one who needs neither sleep nor slumber. And he is the God who is able to keep us. You know, it's been um, a formative thing to pray these prayers each night, to entrust ourselves to Yahweh, our Redeemer. 
And look, as we form as a new church, uh, as Zach said before, we're an Anglican church. Anglican, that, that might be a really awkward word for you. It can mean all sorts of things to different people. Some Anglicans deny the gospel. We don't want to be like that. Some Anglicans seem totally out of touch with the people they're trying to reach. We don't want to be like that. We want to keep the gospel at the center. We want to uh, engage people with where they're at. And so as we move forward, uh, we're not about to become um, a super traditional gathering. Uh, we want to be contemporary, we want to be engaging, we want to welcome the people in the culture that we find ourselves in. There will be little smatterings of historic prayers and structural things that you'll be able to see if you've got the eyes to see as we gather together. But my hope and prayer is that we can get resources into one another's hands that actually lean on some of these historic prayers and we use them in our own devotional time. We use them first thing in the morning. We use them literally for a couple of minutes before we go to sleep at night and we see the way that God continues to shape us as these prayers that have been written by saints throughout the ages actually help to remind us and form us to keep trusting in our Redeemer. May the passages we read and may the prayers that we pray Teach us that the Lord Yahweh is our Redeemer. From where does my help come? Number one, Yahweh, our Creator. Number two, Yahweh, our Redeemer. And the third and final, most brief answer is Yahweh, our Companion. Yahweh, our Companion. Uh, this final answer here is beautiful in its in intimacy. The transcendent God is near. Look at verse five. The Lord is your Keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. It's a picture of Yahweh as Israel's companion for the journey. He is with them on the road in the harshness of the elements. The Lord is their shade. He's constantly there by day or by night. Yahweh is with them on their journey. Yahweh is with them to provide relief. Yahweh is with them to provide refreshment. You know, it's interesting, uh, as said at the very start, that uh, Psalm 121, I spent a lot of time reflecting on and listening to it and thinking about it. And um, it, it wasn't until the very end of last year that I was reading a commentary uh, on it and a, a devotional thing by Alec Mocha that I understood something that I'd missed in the passage up until that point. Let me read this quote. I think it's in, I think it's in the outline as well. Uh, this is what Alec Mocha said as he kind of looked at the whole of Psalm 121. He said this, looking back from the New Testament, we can affirm that the Yahweh of the Old Testament is not to be thought of ju as just God the Father. He is the Holy Trinity incognito, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit waiting to be revealed. God to the power of three, uh, hosts concentrated into the almighty unity of the three persons. The same applies to Psalm 121 with its beautiful meditation on Yahweh as creator, redeemer, and companion. You can see where I got my structure from. A perfect but totally concealed forecast of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Concealed but one we can grip to ourselves as we venture on pilgrimage in this uncongenial, hostile and threatening world. What a way to start each day. What a way to face every eventuality. Isn't that a great insight? This is God. This is Yahweh. 
Not only God the Father, this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit at work. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at work to be our creator, redeemer, and companion. But perhaps, as we kind of focus in, we can see something of the way that God the Father creates, the way that God the Son redeems, and the way that God the companion, uh, God the Holy Spirit is our companion. Now, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is actually a very practical and comforting doctrine. One, it's who God is, but we're actually supposed to find comfort in who God is and how God has revealed himself to us. From where does my help come? You need to know the answer to that question this year. And you need to know that you can look to God as you see him in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Spirit at work for our, for our creation, our redemption, and as our companion. We find comfort and rest in Him who will keep us, in Him who is our help. You know, just briefly, as we kind of think about Psalm 121 in light of knowing the fuller picture of how God has revealed Himself as one God, but three persons within that Godhead, well, we know the comfort of knowing God, our Creator, We've just come out of a season of, uh, of Advent and Christmas where we are reminded of the Creator entering into His creation, the Incarnation. John chapter 1, we read of the transcendent Word, the Logos, the, the God of the universe entering in and coming near, tabernacling among us, the transcendent God. Isn't that wild, even just thinking about hot Jupiter? The God who made hot Jupiter entered into this tiny little planet called Earth. The, the, the planet that he created. And he did that to redeem us. And as we meet Jesus, as we meet him in the Gospels, we see at the heart of why he came was to rescue, was to redeem. I love this quote from one commentator, Rhett Dodson. He said, Jesus, the ultimate pilgrim, had, he, had his feet kept by the Father. God kept his feet in the wilderness. When they walked the shores of the Sea of Galilee, when they climbed the Mount of Transfiguration, when Mary bathed them with her tears, and when they were nailed to the cross, God kept his feet in the paths of righteousness, so that when he went to the cross, those pierced feet crushed the devil's head. Genesis 3.15 Because the Lord kept the feet of Jesus, you and I can be saved through his death. One day, those feet will step again on this earth and the last pilgrim will be home. You know, ultimately, it's because of all that God has done in and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through keeping him, him who lived the perfect life, him who died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place and for our sin, through him who rose again, who appeared to over 500 people, who ascended back to the Father's right hand, who right now is seated who is interceding and advocating for his people. It's through him, our redeemer, that we know of what God has done to keep us for all eternity. And God is our companion. We could spend a lot of time reflecting on, and we will this year, on how wonderful it is to know that we have God dwelling in us. You want a constant companion with you? As Psalm 121 promises to the pilgrim, Know the ongoing presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that dwells in all who have their trust in Christ. 
the Holy Spirit who is the seal and mark that we are those who are united to Christ and belong to God our Father. Let me close with the final couple of verses from the passage with this wonderful almost summary of everything that we've heard so far. Uh, Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He is not just our help for a moment. He is not just our help for a specific situation. He is our help for eternity. You know, Eugene Peterson said that the promise of this psalm, and both Hebrews and Christians have always read it this way, is that not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, will be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. Would you stand as we conclude? I'm going to pray with the words of Jude 24 and 25, which pick up the exact same themes that we've been reflecting on from Psalm 121. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Father, we thank you that you will keep us, that you are our help. May you give us eyes to lift them, to see you, to behold you, Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are our creator, our redeemer, and our companion. Father, may we know this, may we cling to this, and may we rest knowing that you are holding us and you will keep us. Father, may we as a community be a people who remind each other of these truths in the highs and lows of life, in the joys and sorrows of all that is to come this year and beyond. And Father, may your word continue to ring out in our hearts Uh, May your word continue to uh, ring forth from our lips that we would know that you are our help uh, and that we would have great confidence in you because of that. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen.